good morning or good afternoon or whatever time of day you're accessing this video. That's the beauty of doing this um, recording for YouTube. You can watch it any time of the day you wish. This Sunday, the church in Bigger gathers in the hall for our monthly cafe church. Because we haven't got cameras there in the hall, I'm recording this message for you here in my office. Wherever we are, whether we're able to gather in the hall or are accessing this message from the comfort of our sitting rooms, let's remember that because of our bond of love in the Lord Jesus, we are together as his church. So, Let's first turn to the scriptures that we'll be reflecting on this morning. Let's read together. Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. Let's hear the word of God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer. For each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Let's pray together as we turn to reflect on God's Word. Lord God, thank you for these uh, stories that we have heard since we were in Sunday school. Thank you for fresh eyes, for adult eyes to come and look at these uh, stories once again. Thank you for your presence there in the stories in your presence with us now. We pray that you would help us to understand who you are just that little bit more this morning as we turn to reflect on these, your words, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at chapter 16 of Exodus, and I had planned this week to be moving on to the next chapter. But having given it some thought, I'd like us to stick for just a little while longer here in chapter 16. There is just so much to explore here. Let's look a little more closely at the second half of the chapter and specifically at what actually happened there. The children in Cafe Church this morning, I'm planning to do a little drama, dramatizing such sort stories as we have here I find can be really helpful, not just for children, but for adults like us too. I find it's a good way to slow down and to think about what is happening, not just in terms of the general flow of the story, but in terms of how and why things happen. 
and how people might be feeling about what is happening. Now, I'm not going to get you to do what the children will be doing, but can I ask you to imagine, imagine the story as it is played out in our drama. As we heard last week, the Israelites come into this situation hungry and grumbling. I imagine they're feeling hangry. Have you come across that term yet? It means hungry to the point of being angry. I wonder, does that ever happen to you? It certainly happens to me. That evening, as God encounters their grumbling, God promises to send quail, and they come and they descend on the camp. We're not told in what numbers the quails come, but I think we can presume that some of the Israelites at least caught them, prepared them, cooked them, and ate them. I doubt eating the quail took away their feelings of angriness. Quail are quite small birds. I, I saw one on the great British menu the other day. And eating protein without carbohydrates is a bit like going on a paleo diet, meat but no potatoes. It doesn't really fill you up. The Israelites had probably seen quail before, so maybe the appearance of the quail wasn't that impressive to them. But the next thing that God provides is truly miraculous. He gives them the stuff called manna, bread from heaven. After eating their quail, the Israelites lay down to sleep. At this point, I'm going to get the kids to lay down on the floor. We're going to turn the lights down and pretend to be sleeping. Now, during the night, the people slept. Dew fell on the camp. When the dew dissipated, thin flakes like frost appeared on the desert floor. Now I'm going to lay down some brown paper on the whole floor to represent the desert. And at this point, I'm going to spread out some cornflakes on the paper. Back to the story. When the Israelites awoke, Moses told them, this is the bread that God has given you. Go out and collect as much as you need. Now, in the wilderness of the ancient Near East, there is a, a substance that is secreted by insects. The description of which sounds very much like what we have described here in Genesis 16. But that stuff secreted by bugs could in no way have fed the million or so people as is described here in the passage. This was truly a miracle. Now I'll, I'll give each kid a Ziploc bag for them to collect the manna in, and I'll release them to go out and collect those cornflakes. Once the kids have collected their cornflakes, I'll get them to come and show me, show us what they've collected, hold up their bags. Some of the older boys, I imagine, will be keen to get as much as they can. Some of the younger ones, I imagine, will, will gather very little. I'll get them to line up and show us their gatherings, as I said. Some of the Israelites 
gathered a lot, and some gathered a little. But God made it so that everyone had as much as they needed, so the story says. At this point, I'll get a volunteer mum or dad to come and even out the bags of cornflakes from a box of cornflakes that they'll have so that everyone has about the same amount. So let's freeze our drama there. What's going on in this story? What is this gathering of a lot and gathering of a little, but everyone having the same amount? What is this all about? Well, let's look at verses 17 and 18 a little more closely. It says there, The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. But when they measured it by the omer, that basket that they had, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now here we have a statement that highlights to me the nature of Scripture itself. Scripture is meditation literature. It is writing that is to be read, not just with the eyes and the mind, but with the heart as well. Scripture like this is to be read not just as a story about people way back then, but it's also a story about us right here and right now too. Scripture is not a rule book about a prescription for behavior, but it's something that points to a change of, of mindset as, as well as a change of lifestyle. It's about a transformation within a relationship dependent upon a gracious, powerful, loving, and almighty God. These two lines are easy to pass over if you read the story just as a narrative. But even as a story, there is no way of determining what exactly is going on here, although many rabbis and many scholars over the centuries have given many of their opinions about it. Is this a miracle? Did God do a miraculous thing here? Did God miraculously even out the gatherings of the people when they measured them in their omer baskets? Or might this be a case of the people sharing what they had with the people in their tents and their family groupings, as it says there in the scriptures? Is that what was going on? Some sort of sharing? And is sharing like that not perhaps too a, a miracle? All of this, I believe, is meant to be pondered on, not to be pinned down and dissected, to come down on one side or the other. It is meant to be wondered at and prayed about and seen in the light of the bigger story of God that we find in all of Scripture. And in that respect, one thing I think we can say for sure is that these two verses describe for us a characteristic of God. They describe for us a value that God holds and he, that he wants his people to hold too. 
And that characteristic is that God cares for everyone in equal measure. And that he cares especially for those who get left out when manna is being gathered. Whatever that might symbolize in terms of things that make for life and for well-being. That God cares for everyone in equal measure, especially the poor and the disadvantaged, is a theme that comes up over and over again in both the Old and the New Testaments. And it appears to be really, really important. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, there is the fact that that the promised land, when it is finally entered into, is given in equal measure to every family and to every tribe. The laws given by God there at Mount Sinai, in contrast to laws of other ancient Near Eastern societies, make great emphasis on the fact that everyone is to be equally cared for, and that the poor and the needy, the orphan and the widow and the alien, are all to be cared for in a special way. And from the New Testament, think about those stories of Jesus, those parables. What about the one about the workers in the vineyard? Who remember that one? When the landlord pays them all an equal wage, even though some of them have worked longer hours than others. Even the parable of the unforgiving servant has to do with this theme. You remember that one where the servant, having received forgiveness himself, doesn't equally share it with his debtor, and so he is condemned. And there are the stories of the feeding of the four and the five thousand, and the fact that everyone has enough to eat and more at the end of those meals. There are many similarities between those stories and this one here in Exodus 16. And the one main similarity is that they are all undergirded by this theme that God cares for everyone in equal measure, especially the poor and the disadvantaged. And he wants his people to care in the same way that he does. Of course, all these stories in both the Old and the New Testament, which have this as their theme, point forward to the ultimate revelation of God and what he is about in the world. They point to the cross, the cross where God would give himself for everyone deeply and in equal measure, where he will give himself for those who are considered strong, who think that they gather much, but also and especially where he would give himself for the weak, for those who gather little, for those who have failed for one reason or another to do what has been deemed necessary, those who, in Jesus' words, know their need for God. The good news is that God's manna is there for them too, especially for them, and it is there in good measure for them as much as they need. Ultimately, what this story and all these other stories show us is that we are all in need of God's grace, whether we can gather much or 
whether we gather little. In the end, it all comes from God. God is the one who rained down the manna in the first place. And when it comes to the ultimate manna, the ultimate bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, none of us is able to gather even a crumb from under the table. We are all in need of his grace. His debtors to this amazing grace, therefore. Let's also show that grace to others around us as we gather our manna from day to day, tomorrow, the next day, and into eternity. May God bless to us these reflections on his holy word. Amen. Let's now bring our prayers together before God. Let's pray. Lord, in a world where we are taught to compete, to climb a greasy pole, to go for it and leave others in the dust, to look out for number one, to strive to be number one, thank you that your grace is so refreshingly different. Thank you that you, in your grace, accept us and love us for who we are. Thank you that you are the father in the story of the prodigal son. Thank you that in your grace you run out to meet us and you cut us off at the pass when we have turned around beaten and dispirited. Thank you that your grace finds us and that it will never let us go. As your people then, we want to display that same grace to the world around us. And so now we pray for our world and for ourselves. We pray for brothers and sisters around the world for believers in difficult places today, in places where the prospect of war looms, and where there is war being waged. We pray for churches in Ukraine and in South Sudan. May your people in these countries be signs and symbols and the very presence of your grace. May they be able to offer neighbors a real taste of the hope of your kingdom come to earth. We pray for Rachel, for Pete and Hannah, Beatrice, Samson and Claudia. We pray for them as they settle into their new places of living and working. May they know your grace and the freedom and inspiration to share it with others. We pray for folks in our own families, our friend groups, our congregation, and in our community who suffer from chronic illness today. We name those near to our hearts in the silence now. 
God, may these two know your grace and taste the manna of your presence in their lives. May your presence be known to those who care for the ill and the lonely. Give them stamina and times of Sabbath refreshment. May they receive care as they care for others. And finally, we pray for ourselves. Lord, help us to receive the manna of your grace daily as you pour it out according to your unfailing promise. Lord, shape us into people who resemble you, who resemble you in the way we approach life and work and witness. Make of our ordinary lives a witness to you and to your coming kingdom. For we pray these prayers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.